You're listening to the sermon audio from Mill Creek Community Church. If you like what you've heard or want to find out more information, please visit our website at mymillcreek.com. Genesis 21. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham, a son, in his old age, at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son, who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. Verse 8. And the child grew and was weaned. And Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, laughing. So she said to Abraham, Cast out this slave woman with her son, for the son of this slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. And the thing was very displeasing to Abraham on account of his son. But God said to Abraham, Be not displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you, for through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also, because he is your offspring. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder along with the child and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. Verse 15. When the water in the skin was gone, she put the child under one of the bushes. Then she went and sat down opposite him a good way off, about the distance of a bowshot. For she said, let me not look on the death of the child. And as she sat opposite him, she lifted up her voice and wept. And God heard the voice of the boy. And the angel of God, God called Hagar from heaven and said to her, what troubles you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Up! Lift up the boy, and hold him fast with your hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water, and she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. And God was with the boy, and he grew up. He lived in the wilderness and became an expert with the bow. He lived in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother took a wife for him, from the land of Egypt. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day to gather together and worship you. Spirit, thank you for revealing truth to us in your word. Penetrate our souls with your truth and help us to walk in the ways of the Lord. Help Jeremy to convey your message clearly, and we are so thankful for your steadfast love. In Christ's name we pray, amen.
Amen. Thank you, Rowley. Imagine with me, your dad was a multi-billionaire. Feel free to pick whichever guy on the planet you want to pick as your dad. Forbes tells me Elon Musk right now is number one richest guy in the world. 218 billion is what that guy's worth. Probably recognize other people on the list. Jeff Bezos is up there, Bill Gates. There's a bunch of Waltons who are on the list. But whoever it is, imagine you are the biological child of this billionaire and are expecting you're going to get a little cut of that one of these days. Imagine with me, as sad as it is, billionaire dad passes, you sit down, you have that moment with the lawyer, they all talk through what, who is getting what. You've got some other siblings there, and they get done with that meeting. And you get nothing. If this scenario was true, you have a billionaire dad, they pass, you end up getting cut out of the inheritance. Tell me, if, if that was going to happen and we were able to go back in time a little bit, would you want to know that's what's going to happen to you earlier in your life? Or... You're the kind of person who goes, man, if that was what's going to happen, I'd rather just not know until I'm surprised there in the moment. I understand some people, when they're presented with kind of a hypothetical situation, they go, oh, don't tell me. Let me just, let me just live in my little fairy tale, unicorn land, put my head in the sand, and oh, I'll find out the bad news one of these days. Just please don't tell me the truth. Whenever these hypothetical situations come up, people ask me these kinds of questions, I always think, I, tell me immediately. I, I want to know the facts, as, as crummy as the facts are, just pull the Band-Aid off, let me know what's going to happen. If, if I'm in line for $218 billion and I'm not getting a penny of it, I'd like to know before I'm sitting there with some of my siblings and get the bad news. All right, now, unless there's some crazy paternity test... <laughs> that you're awaiting. I don't suppose any of us in here have to worry about Elon Musk's $218 million inheritance, but there is an inheritance situation you need to be aware of. An inheritance situation that each of us in this room is literally right now in the middle of. See, get this. Whether you knew it or not when you got up this morning and headed here to Mill Creek, whether you even like it or not, each of us is in an inheritance situation where the stakes are far more serious than $218 billion. Here's the thing, though. You may not know the inheritance situation you're in, 
And my hope for you this morning in our sermon is that when you leave this place, that you would have crystal clear clarity whether or not you're going to legitimately inherit anything from your biological parents. For anyone in here going, oh, but I don't really want to know the facts, Jack. I'm going to be popping some balloons today because I want you to know the inheritance situation you're in because it will impact your eternity. Here then is what you need to know. Turns out, throughout the book of Genesis, there are these two family trees. And depending on which family tree you're in will determine the sort of inheritance you're going to get. You are either going to be in the family tree that inherits eternal life, or you are in the family tree that's going to inherit eternal death. But those are the only two options. All of us are either in the inheritance of the family tree of promise, or we are in the family tree of flesh. The family tree of the free woman, or the family tree of the slave woman. And while inheritance questions often follow the father, in our text, today's inheritance question is actually based on your mother, spiritually speaking. The question, who's your daddy? That ain't going to solve it today. The question is, who's your mama? For our sermon then, there are two questions that we're going to look at with our time. The first is about family tree. The second is about grace. If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, please open to Genesis chapter 21. I want to show you how the text helps us know which family tree we're in. That's the first question we have to land. Which family tree you're in, because this is going to impact eternity. I'm going to draw this answer out from verses 1 to 14. And since we're not going to really see the two family trees till we walk through these verses, let me just tell you up front. There are two family trees. One is Sarah, verses 1 to 7. The other is Hagar, verses 8 to 14. Sarah and Isaac represent one family tree. Hagar and Ishmael represent the second family tree. But our text starts with Sarah and Isaac, so look at verse 1 and realize how exciting Genesis 21 is. Genesis 21, we have been waiting for this since all the way back in Genesis 12, when God said, Abraham, Sarah, I'm going to give you a child. And while that was three months ago that we were in Genesis 12, for Abraham, it's been 35 years 35 years of knowing God promised he's going to give us a child. Abraham was 65. And now he's 100. And now the baby comes. I'm imagining this may feel unbelievable. After all we've seen Abraham walk through. Sometimes he's walking faithful. Sometimes he's faithless. Same with Sarah. But now the baby's come. One, the Lord visited Sarah as he had said. And the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age. At the time of which God had spoken to him. Like a little kid who may be looking forward to Christmas and it just feels like it's an eternity till it shows up. Like a high school student who may think graduation's never coming. Like a 
engaged couple who wonders, will our wedding day ever come? Here in the text, they have now the promised child. And this section reiterating the basic message of Genesis. God keeps his promises. An implication for all readers. God made a promise. It took a long time. But he's going to keep his promise. God always keeps his promise. And baby Isaac is on the scene. And notice Abraham's obedience in verses 3 and 4. We may not realize this because it's been a minute from previous texts. But God has given Abraham a command on what to name the child as well as the circumcision. And that's exactly what Abraham does. A second implication to consider. God's people, they obey right away. Whatever God says to do, if he's God, we say, okay, I'm going to do it. And that's what Abraham does here. Thinking then of Isaac, this baby, whose name literally means laughter. It's hard not to smile when you think about 100-year-old Abraham, 90-year-old Sarah, having a sweet little baby with chubby cheeks. I'm guessing those toes looked like stuffed sausages. And having waited so long, can you imagine the joy, the excitement of a little baby? And look at what Sarah says, verse 6. Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. And everyone who hears will laugh over me. And Sarah said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet, I have borne him a son in his old age. I think Sarah appreciates how sweet that baby's name is. For indeed, the baby named Laughter is bringing laughter to Sarah and all who hear. Remember, in their culture, no baby left you as an outcast. Having a family and children to pass on does everything. And for all these years, she's had nothing. But now she's a mama, and she is laughing. So this, friends, is one side of the family tree. This is... This is the family tree of promise. This is the family tree of the free woman. Sarah and Isaac. This family tree inherits joy and laughter. And this is the family tree you want to be in. In verse 8, we're going to look then at the second family tree. If you're taking notes, this is Hagar, Ishmael's family tree back in the text. Verse 8. And the child Isaac grew and was weaned. And Abraham made a great feast on that day that Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar the Egyptian, whom she had born to Abraham, laughing. So Sarah said to Abraham, Cast out this slave woman with her son, for the son of this slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. In verse 8, we have fast-forwarded three years, give or take, since the baby's born. It's about time that you would wean a baby in these days. So, baby Isaac, he's now three years old. Ishmael, 
He's now 15. So get the difference in age between these two sons. Three-year-old Isaac, which, which if Isaac at three-year-old, three years old is like our three-year-olds, he's walking on his own. He's probably talking, saying, mine, mine. <laughs> I do that. <laughs> and uh, that's Isaac. Ishmael, 15 years old now. And at this milestone of the promised child is going to be weaned, Abraham decides to celebrate something like a, uh, well, he decides to celebrate in a way that I'm thinking modern contextualization would be a backyard bar barbecue. He, he's going to get the grill out. He's going to get a bunch of food. He's going to invite all his people. He says, we're going to have a party. Isaac, the son of laughter, is weaned. And while they're out on the lawn playing games, some folks are sitting in their little lawn chairs, maybe eating some watermelon, drinking lemonade. Sarah notices that 15-year-old Ishmael is laughing. You see that in the text? Laughing. But this laughing, it is different contextually than the laughing we enjoyed with Sarah earlier. Context shows us this isn't just laughing, this is mocking. This is, Paul actually says in Galatians 4, what Ishmael is doing to Isaac is persecuting him. The age difference also clues us in that whatever a 15-year-old boy is doing to a 3-year-old boy, there's some danger there. And this context shows us Sarah realizes my son is being threatened by that 15-year-old. And she is concerned, so concerned that, that she realizes something's got to happen. And so she goes up to Abraham in, in what I envision to be the middle of the barbecue. And she goes, Abraham, kick him out. And, and, and get this, not just kick him out of the party. Not just go home and we'll talk tomorrow. She says, you kick him out of the family permanently. That Ishmael, he cannot inherit anything with my Isaac. Now, if you're like me, at first glance, I'm thinking to myself, good grief, Sarah. Take a break. <laughs> Why don't you go get another lemonade and... Freshen up in the restroom real quick. Because you got your toes stepped on. But this isn't that big of a deal, girl. Just relax. You don't have to go nuclear. But for anyone who is feeling that the way I was, it's not Sarah who's out of line. We are actually out of line to put that on Sarah. We're the ones who need to relax if we think Sarah's overreacting like a mama bear. Because as it turns out, Sarah, in the text, she has made the right decision. She has given Abraham the proper recommendation. Because look what God actually tells Abraham in verse 12. God said to Abraham, be not displeased because of the boy. And because of your slave woman, whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you. For through Isaac shall your offspring be made. 
Verse 11, Abraham was pretty upset. But God tells him, you listen. And what God is showing us in this text, what God revealed to Abraham is, Isaac is the heir. And it will be through Isaac that the promises are fulfilled. So you are right to cast Hagar and Ishmael out of the house and disinherit them. Now, I should clarify that in Sarah's view, I, I don't think she fully understood that by being this mama bear and protecting her Isaac, that she perfectly understood all the eternal implications that we'll get to here in a moment. And nevertheless, Sarah did realize there was a threat to the promised child. And as a result of the threat, she had to act. But wait a minute, pastor, you may be thinking, if you're a close reader of the text, you may say to yourself, but there's all those promises that God made to Ishmael previously. There's all those promises God said he would do to Ishmael just because Abraham was his dad. What about those promises? You're right. And God actually reiterates them in verse 13. Look what God says. I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also because he's your offspring. 14, so Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder along with the child, sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. Here again, notice, Abraham, he hears from the Lord and he obeys right away. Even though he was displeased in verse 11, he gives them what they need, says, you gotta go. Which, by the way, I found out legally, is like him meeting with his lawyer and saying, Ishmael's out of you. Didn't have to go to a lawyer back then, but by kicking them out, everybody knew Ishmael is out. Isaac is the promised child. Here then shows us our second family tree. Verses 8 to 14, Hagar and Ishmael are the family of flesh, the slave woman. And this family tree is disinherited from the glorious life of Isaac's Line. This second family tree stands to receive eternal death. But being that we're nearly halfway done with the sermon, you may be looking at this text going, okay, pastor, I see the two moms, I see the two kids, I see they got kicked out. Okay, fine, I see how you drew the conclusion of family tree, but how in the world are you concluding that this is for sure the difference between eternal life and eternal death. Where do you get that in the text? Which if that's you, I would have wondered the exact same thing if I was in your seat just a couple weeks ago. Here then is the key to understanding Genesis 21. It turns out in the New Testament, the apostle Paul, he seemed to have preached this sermon before and he tells the Galatians, you got to know something about these two family trees. The actual key for us today to understand Genesis 21 can be found in Galatians. You can turn there if you want. I've got it on the screen so you don't have to worry about it if you don't want to. Here's how Paul interprets Genesis 21. This is in Galatians 4. Let me read it out loud to you. You can see it on the screen if you like. Paul writes, for it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. 
Now, this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She's Hagar. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. What Paul is saying in Galatians 4 is what I've been arguing for since we started. There are two family trees with two very different inheritances. For those whose mom is Sarah, good news. You're in the family of Isaac. You're in the family of promise. You're in the family of freedom and eternal life. But for those whose mama is Hagar, a warning. You're in the family of Ishmael. The flesh, slavery, eternal death. And in the context of Galatians, what we need to understand to make sense of these two families is that Paul's arguing the two family trees will represent on the one hand those justified by Jesus with those who think they're justified by obeying the rules. You could say... Those whose mama, spiritually speaking, is Sarah, are gospelists. Pastor, that's not even a real word. I know, I made it up, but I like it. Gospelists. My mama believes the gospel, while those who are on the family tree of Hagar are legalists. Both sons would rightly claim but Abraham's my daddy. What Paul's saying is, the question is not who's your daddy. The question is, who's your mama? Question for application here. Which family tree are you in? Which family tree are you in? Are you in the family tree of promise, freedom, joy, laughter? Or are you in the family tree of the flesh? The family tree that tries to be justified by your own works. The family tree. You're in this family tree. If you wake up in the morning and you think, oh, good grief. I'm going to try so hard to justify God today, but it's just so hard. And there's just so many rules. And I just don't know that I'm ever going to get it. That's slavery. You're in the family tree of the promise if you wake up in the morning and you go, oh, I'm a hot mess. But thank you, Jesus. I'm in your family tree. Jesus isn't looking at me about what am I going to do today. He's in, I'm in the family tree of joy and laughter because I don't deserve to be in this family tree, but I am. I don't mind telling people. Jesus plus nothing else is the family tree of the promise. Jesus plus all this junk that you've got to do so that he loves you, that's family tree of death. Which family tree are you in? Family tree of promise has an eternal inheritance. Far greater than 218 billion. If you're over here in the family tree of Hagar and Ishmael, you're going to get nothing. Even though your dad was rich. Okay, pastor, but look, if you keep going in this text, 
we're going to see that God still cares for Hagar and Ishmael. Pastor, keep going. You're going to see Hagar and Ishmael get some good stuff. So how does it work? Since they're not in the family tree, they still get protected and cared for by God. They still get some blessings. How does that work? You're right. Verses 15 to 21 show us that despite being on the wrong family tree, God still has some good gifts for them. So how do we make sense of it? Well, you've got to understand there are two types of grace. There is saving grace. That's what's happening on this family tree. And then there's common grace, which happens despite salvation. I, forgive me if this feels a little bit heady, but you've got to get this. Moves us to our second, our final question for the sermon this morning. Which grace are you receiving? Let's begin with common grace. Back to the text. Hagar and Ishmael, they have left their home. They're out on their own. The supplies have run out. And Ishmael, he is in bad shape. 15, when the water in the skin was gone, she put the child under one of the bushes. And then she went and sat down opposite him a good way off, about the distance of a bow shot. For she said, let me not look on the death of the child. And as she sat opposite him, she lifted up her voice and wept. For those remembering Genesis, you may recall in Genesis 16, Hagar ran away from home. She was pregnant because she was getting persecuted. And when she ran away, she was out on her own. And, and God met her and said, I see you. And God said, I want you to name your child whom you will have, Ishmael. I want you to name him Ishmael because Ishmael means God hears. God hears. Is God going to hear this time? 17. And God heard the voice of the boy. And the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, what troubles you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Up, lift up the boy, hold him fast with your hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes so she could see. And she saw a well of water, and she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. What we see here is God hears those who call out to him. A great implication in the text for any of us in here who wonder, does God hear me? Oh, God hears those who call out to him. What is more, God is willing to answer those who call on him. God, he is gracious to Ishmael, not only giving him water when he is dying of thirst, but look how God is with Ishmael as he grows up. Verse 20, as this section ends with Ishmael being an expert with a bow, living in the wilderness with a wife. His mama got him from Egypt. So it seems to us, coming to the end of our text, well, God is gracious with Hagar and Ishmael, but how do we reconcile that with them being on the wrong side of the family tree? Here is where common grace comes in. See, while Hagar and Ishmael are receiving a type of blessing, the blessing they are getting is not saving grace, but common grace, common grace, grace that is available to all, regardless of which family tree you are in. Real quick, let me define common grace for you. This is from Pastor Sam Storms in Oklahoma. He writes, 
while humanity is totally depraved, that means sinful, and deserving of God's wrath, truly what we deserve, God mercifully postpones his destroying wrath and graciously blesses all of us, even apart from salvation. This is called God's common grace. Common grace includes all undeserved blessings that natural man receives from the hand of God, like rain and sun and prosperity and health and happiness, natural capacities, our hearts beat, our lungs work, gifts, as well as sin, being restrained from complete dominion. Common grace, then, are all of these gifts that none of us deserves, but God has made them available to the world. The go-to passage for common grace is when Jesus says in Matthew 5, 45, for God makes his son to rise on the evil and on the good. God sends rain on the just and on the unjust. What we see then in this section with Hagar and Ishmael is that God does extend grace to them, but it is common grace. But that doesn't mean common grace isn't wonderful. How cool is it that you could be gifted with a bow and arrow and go shoot food to eat and fill your belly? How? Who here hasn't been so thirsty? And you drink water and you go, ah, that's so refreshing. For those who are married, what a gift marriage is to us. These are gifts of common grace available to everyone regardless of which spiritual mother you have. The challenge then that Paul is putting before those in Galatia and what you and I must understand here is all of these wonderful gifts you and I may experience, they are blessings, but they are not salvation. And there is a drastic difference between the two. Common grace is earthly blessings. Saving grace is eternal blessings. In our text, Hagar and Ishmael do experience common grace, but they will not inherit saving grace. That's only available to the family of promise. Saving grace, then. To receive saving grace, you have to be in the family tree with Sarah and Isaac. You must believe salvation is Jesus plus nothing. Here's how Paul puts it in Galatians 2. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law. That's Hagar and Ishmael, but through faith in Jesus Christ. That's Sarah and Isaac. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Paul's point then, what I want us to get, is you can't just sit here and say, but Abraham's my spiritual father. You will not inherit saving grace just because Abraham's your spiritual father. For in fact, if you're on the wrong side of the family tree with your mom, spiritually speaking, you will be disinherited. Having then given the definition of common grace, what would be saving grace? How are we to understand saving grace? From Genesis chapter 15, verse 6. Here's such a clear picture of what salvation looks like in the family tree of promise. And Abraham, he believed the Lord, and God counted it to him as righteousness. Church, if we would confess, if you would confess, there is nothing I can do 
to earn salvation. There is nothing I can do to be entitled to the family tree of promise. Nothing I can add to Jesus' saving work. If you would confess, I believe Jesus plus nothing is how I find salvation. I'm not resting my confidence in circumcision. That's what the Galatians were doing. I'm not going to rest my confidence in salvation and how good I follow the Ten Commandments. I'm not going to rest my salvation in how much better I am than everybody around me. That's what a lot of us do. Do you deserve hell? I don't know. I mean, I'm better than those people. Well, they deserve hell too. For those who would believe they are before God. Not deserving of the family tree of promise, but saved because of Jesus. God. If you have that faith, he would look on your faith just like he did with Abraham and he would credit to you righteousness. You who deserve to be in the family tree of slavery and flesh and eternal death, he would look at you and he would place you in the family tree of righteousness, credit you this side just because of faith in Jesus. Here's the application. Believe in Jesus Christ to receive saving grace. Believe in Jesus. Re repent of any ways you may be living or thinking or behaving in the wrong family tree way. Re repent. This is how every other world religion works. If you didn't know this, just Google and take three minutes and look through Judaism, Hinduism, Buddhism, Islam. They all are based on the same idea. In fact, all the cults, Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons, what it, Scientology. I mean, pick the wackadoodle religion you want. They're all the same thing. It's this. If I could just be good enough, if I just follow the rules enough, finally God's going to look at me and say, you're saved. But of course, the problem is you can't ever do it. Doesn't matter how much you pay. Doesn't matter who you know. You never can do it. Christianity, biblical Christianity, it's the only religion that says it's not about what you do. It's about what Jesus has done. If you're here and you're thinking to yourself, I have no idea what in the world you are talking about with this family tree stuff. Or I have no idea. Then you're in the wrong family tree. You're in the wrong one. And you gotta, and I'm hoping by the power of the Spirit alone, He would wake you up to make you go rattle your brain a little bit to make you go, oh dear, I gotta figure out this family tree thing. Otherwise, you're fixing on a real sad meeting someday in judgment when you think, my dad's wealthy, he's got 218 billion and I'm getting a cut, only to realize you have been disinherited. Believe in Jesus Christ. Receive saving grace. And in Jesus Christ, then, this is how you switch family trees. In the family of God, there is adoption that is crucial to the heart of the gospel. God the Father, he will adopt you out of this family and put you into his chosen line because of what Jesus did on the cross for you. Jesus, he is the one who ultimately did come from this family tree. Follow the genealogy. Guess who's coming through? Isaac and Sarah, but not through Hagar and Ishmael. It's Jesus. Matthew chapter 1. There's all these names. So-and-so begat so-and-so. So-and-so begat so-and-so. Who cares? Here's who cares. The author of Genesis and Paul, God the Father, because there's these two family trees, and you've got to know spiritually which one you're in. Jesus, he came from the family tree of promise. He left 
the perfect family in heaven. And he came to this earth, but he wasn't treated like the family tree of promise. He came to this earth and he got cast out like this side did. Jesus was cast out of his community, but he was cast out so we could be welcomed in. In Jesus, we have the perfect son who left the perfect family. He came, he was laughed at, he was mocked, he was scorned, and he became the outcast. He experienced suffering, he experienced thirst, he went into the wilderness for us, and ultimately he was crucified so that we, who are children of sin, born in slavery, would have the opportunity to change family trees. If you're here and you're thinking, Pastor, I don't know, man. I'm kind of enjoying the benefits of common grace. I got a good life. I got a good job. I got some nice friends. I think I'm just going to take my chances. Hear this. Whatever joy, common grace you're experiencing right now, that is as good as it will ever get for you for the rest of time. This is the best you're ever going to experience life. And if you're honest, is this really all that great? I mean, if this is the top, is that it? For those who believe in Jesus and believe in saving grace, get this. This is as bad as it ever gets for us. It's only going up, baby. Ha! And are there not times where we go, man, this is a sweet moment in my life. Oh, what a sweet gift. Look at all these wonderful graces. Man, we have no clue what's about to happen in eternity when forever and ever the Lord gives us more than we can even imagine. Friends, we have no idea. The laughter, the joy, the sheer delight that is awaiting our future inheritance. God has made promises in Genesis. We see him keeping promises in Genesis. More broadly speaking, God has made a promise to you. A promise based on the family tree. So know which family tree you're in by understanding the grace you're receiving. And there is a sermon in a sentence. Understand the family tree you're in. By understanding the grace you're receiving. For those receiving saving grace, amen. For those only receiving common grace, repent today. Pray with me that this miracle would happen. Oh Christ, send your spirit and power to save. We thank you for your word. We thank you for minds that have a capacity to understand what it says. And may it be understood by all who hear. In Jesus' name, amen. If you like what you've heard or want to find out more information, please visit our website at mymillcreek.com.